0: All right, well, good morning, folks. Um, good morning.
1: Good
0: morning. It's been about, I guess, about a month since we've done the Book of Galatians. If you're online with us this morning, um, you know, turn, get your Bible out, uh, turn to the Book of Galatians, and get ready because we're going to got some uh, good study this morning. Some really good stuff here this morning, and we're going to turn back to our study. Uh, it's an awesome letter. I know a lot of you might kind of say, oh, where were we we like a month ago, right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring you up to speed, all right? So if you do that, we'll be good. Let's pray before we go any further, though. As you get your Bibles ready, let me do some prayers for us this morning. Lord, we give you thanks. We give you praise for your word, for all that it brings to us this morning. We give you thanks for the joy and the freedom in Christ that the gospel brings. Um, we give you thanks that the gospel is the not only is it the only way to enter heaven, but the gospel is the only way to actually live our lives here on Earth as well. As Tim said, as we await your second coming, Lord, we're here, and help us to um, help us and guide us to live our lives in the way you would have us do Lord. Have us to do church the way you would have us do church. Have us to um, have us to teach others um, to to be in your in your word and to live in obedience to you and all that that means. Lord. Which Lord means sometimes it means that we have to we have to give up things and we have to uh, we have to do things that we think that aren't what this world would have us do. Sometimes we have to step out. We have to step out in faith just like your, your servant Paul stepped out in faith and it cost Paul something. And Lord, today, today, it's cost something to be a Christian. Help us to be willing to pay the price because the, uh, <laughs> there's eternal glory that's coming, Lord. So whatever price is paid now, doesn't mean anything compared to the riches that you have for us in your kingdom. So, Lord, help us and guide us. Lord, may, may your word resonate deeply in our hearts and our minds. May we receive the word and um, and not only just listen, but also act on the Lord. May it. May be part of our lives. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, let's do a little review here this morning. Um, Really helpful in our study first I want to give you is um, something the church has been struggling with a long time um, so almost from the very beginning there were forces at work within Christianity that would have destroyed or sidetracked the growing of the church the spread of the gospel. there' was three distortions that mainly Christianity has and it continues to have today and they created many problems. And they continue to reappear sometimes in other forms today. Often, just like in Galatia, distortions of Christianity slowly entered churches and denominations and worked against the spread of the gospel. So um, let us call this distorted Christianity. And I'll contrast them this morning as a little review with true Christianity. So um, you want to just click that first slide. The first one is Judaized Christianity. It says Christians are Jews who have been accepted Jesus as the promised Savior, but they believe that, uh, and there's still some of that today, but this is rampant in Paul's day. They believe that to become a Christian, one must be first become a Jew. You must become a Jew and accept and keep all the Old Testament laws down to the letter and you do that first and then you will become uh, then you will become a Christian. It was burdensome and it was hard and they believed in works type sal- er- earning of the salvation. So if if it was Judaized Christianity which Paul was fighting against they believed that you had to earn your salvation. Okay? The second one is legalized Christianity. Christians are those who bl- who live by A long list of do's and don'ts. God's favor is earned by good behavior. There is often a mixture of law and grace, and one must least partially earn their salvation. The third one is lawless Christianity. This is what we find in a lot of our our big denominational churches today. These so-called Christians live above the law. They need no guidance for scripture, but often rely on popular culture and political correctness for guidance. They tend also to rely on what their own personal sense of God would have them do. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that coming up. Now I want to give you true Christianity. True Christianity, or Christians are those who believe inwardly and outwardly that Jesus' death has allowed God to offer them forgiveness and eternal life as a gift. They have accepted that gift through faith and are seeking to live a life of obedient gratitude for what God has done for them. True Christianity is both public and private with heart belief and mouth confession. Our relationship to God and the power he provides results in obedience. Having received forgiveness and eternal life, we are now challenged to live that life with his help. So I entitled this message this morning, Growing in the Right Direction. During my preparation time for the message, I was praying um, on how to best teach this this morning. And God gave me this kind of metaphor this morning of flowers and weeds. So we often think of growing as a good thing, as people often say, I'm growing in my faith, which is a good thing, right? But growing can also be a bad thing. For instance, by way of the example that came to me, you can have flowers growing in your garden or you can also have weeds growing in your garden. Most of us prefer flowers to weeds, right? Whether it's flowers or weeds, it's largely up to you. But either way, you're going to have something growing in your garden. Whether it's flowers or weeds, it's really whether you take the time to grow the flowers, but either way something is going to grow. You determine by the amount of effort you put into your garden, whether it will be full of flowers or full of weeds, but either way something is going to grow. Often if we're not careful, flowers and weeds grow together, right? Sometimes people might describe their faith as being stagnated, in other words, just staying the same and not growing. Personally, I don't think that that's true. You grow either way like flowers or weeds. You either become closer to God or you become closer to the things of this world. You either are going forward or going in reverse. But rarely do people stay in neutral in their faith. Apostle Paul did a lot of cultivating in Galatia as um, as we've read over a series of a couple months now Before before this month. Paul ministered in Galatia in all three of his missionary journeys. They responded to the gospel. They grew in faith and had a close relationship with Paul. They were growing in the right direction. Then at some point, the weeds came in in the form of false teachers, the Judaizers. After receiving their freedom in Christ, they would turn back into bondage. They started following the regulations of the law. They came to Christ by grace, but they were deceived into thinking they must continue by works or merit. Paul planted flowers, but weeds were now threatening to choke out the flowers. Their relationship with Paul was fractured. Their joy was lost, and they themselves were in spiritual bondage. Paul needed to pull out the weeds. If you remember in the beginning of his letter, Paul starts out by calling them foolish. He has been scholarly, too, bringing a lot of theology to bear in his argument. Um, he's reasoned with them in this deep theological way. But now, as as, the, as Galatians move on, now he becomes tender. We see Paul's pastoral heart. In our text this morning, he expresses his deep compassion. So turn your Bibles. If you've got a Bible app, I think you might already be there. We're going to be in Galatians 4. Verses 8 to 11. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I might have labored over you in vain. So before we can move ahead, we need to take a look, a brief look at where we we were before verse 8. If you look at verse 1 in the fourth chapter, James explains this to us. He explained about a month ago, all right? Both children and slaves were alike in that they were under a guardian. I'm like it Chapter 4, verse 1 now. The son, even though he was an heir, did not possess any legal rights until he became of age. Even if he is an heir in a large estate, and if you remember back uh, about a month ago, James used the example from the movie Richie Rich. And the point is that even though an heir theoretically owns the whole estate, as long as the heir is a child, he has no legal rights to that estate. In that century is no different from a slave. Paul is equating living under the law with that of a minor who is subject to guardians. So you see, in God's plan, the law was the guardian. When the heir becomes of age, the guardianship ends. Now look back at verse 4, if you will. The fullness of time. So when the law, the guardian, had fully accomplished its pur- purpose, which is showing that man... You and I, our utter sinfulness, total depravity, our inability to live up to God's perfect standard of righteousness, God then ushered in a new era of true redemption. And that's when Jesus was born. All right. That's when he sent his son into the world. Okay. He provided the righteousness for us that we could not provide for ourselves. Now that Christ has come, the guardianship of the law is over with its slavery. We are set free, adopted in, and are full members of his family. And Paul also wants us to know that we are heirs. We're heirs to all that God owns. And guess what? God owns everything. If you can think of the biggest riches in the world and everything else, and all the millionaires and all, that doesn't come close to the riches that God owns and the riches that are for you if you you believe on him. So... These are a couple verses from Ephesians. I love them. I'm going to read them for you this morning. I'm reading from chapter 1 now. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself, As sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Now moving to Ephesians 3. Paul's going to pray right here, and this is awesome. For this reason, I I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and how high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that has worked within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So we are his beloved children, his heirs. So, Paul's point to the Galatians is this. In light of all that, this, in light of all that, this riches that were given to us, why would you return to the slavery of the law? Why would anyone go back um, to rule keeping as a means of pleasing God? Um, You know, I I think I told this story a while ago. When we were kids, we'd play stickball and touch football and all, and we had a kid. On the block, we called him Rule Book, and every time he was, he wanted to change what we're doing. And every time he said you weren't following the rules, and that's and that's basically what Christianity can become if we're not important, we're not careful about importantly following uh, the fact that Jesus died for your sins, and there's grace that's it's in there. We don't have to, um, we don't have to follow. Rich rigidly traditions and laws and stuff like that. And we're going to have a lot of examples coming up. So, so as children and heirs, the, the Galatians and us, we are once stuck in the poverty of our sins. We are stuck in the poverty of our sins. How could we trade our wealth in knowing Christ as his heirs and go back to the futility and slavery of the law? The Galatians had learned to call God Father, yet they were in imminent danger of going from sonship right back into slavery. They were about to squander their spiritual inheritance by selling their birthrights as sons and daughters of God. Satan would rather people focus on the law where we cannot obey leading to hopelessness. He wants us to take our eyes off the Savior and look to other things such as, and Dan explained this a few weeks ago, if you were here when he did review of chapter three, he called it the law of self. All sorts of things can take the place of God in our lives. And any time you put something before God, it's, it's and, and let me emphasize the word I, if you put yourself before God, it's idolatry. All right? So relying on ourselves instead of, um, instead of God is idolatry. All right? And that's, I think, one of the biggest problems we have and w- what gets in the way of our faith. Paul will finish up his discourse on justification. So he's argued theology. Now he will be in the focus more on Christian conduct. This brings us to our text this morning where Paul shows his love for the Galatians. So three points this morning. The first one is life before Christ. All right, Verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those by nature who are not God's. So before they were saved, the Galatians worshipped false gods. As part of a Roman providence, they worshipped Zeus and Hermes. Um, So let me read this from you from Acts. This gives you good, if you want to turn there if you want, it's Acts 14, verses 11 to 13. So, give you a little information about what's going on here. Paul winds up healing the guy. in, in that providence, and that was all the way back in the beginning of his ministry. And, and you can read about that in Acts about what Paul did in Galatia. She winds up healing the guy. So this is when they were still pagans, all right? And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus. And Paul, Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands at the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their garments and rushed out in the crowd crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of the like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and earth and the sea and all. Then, so this is life before, before Christ for, for the uh, for the Galatian people. Uh, they believed in that, and they also believed in something else. There's not a, along with. Um, you study a little bit of history. What happened back then? Long before, before that. Um, A lot of the Caesars, this particular one was Augustus Caesar. Um, He made Galatia Roman providence um, and established established it as a Roman colonies. So what the Romans liked to do was also, not only they knew they were worshiping other gods, but they wanted to throw the emperor in with it. So not only did you worship other gods, but also you would worship the emperor too. So not only before before they knew Christ, not only were the um, Galatians worshiping other gods. They were also worshiping the Emperor Caesar. So that was going on in in there to give you a little background of what was going on. So there is a Roman providence and participated in what was called the Emperor's cult. They worshiped the Roman Emperor along with Zeus and Hermes and various other gods and deities that were involved there. Paul reminds them of the time they did not know God which was then They were enslaved to those who, by nature, were not gods. None of these deities were really God at all. They were mere idols. Um, Phil Reichen points out this. Demonic influences were at work, bowing down to false gods, brought real spiritual bondage for the Galatians. Before they came to Christ, the religion was that of works, and they were slaves to various man-made gods that were not actually God at all. Galatians did not remember what they were like before Christ. In this commentary on Galatians, John Stott mentions the wonderful account of John Newton. You remember John Newton is the author of the hymn Amazing Grace. If you never heard his story, Newton was an only child and, and lost his mother at age seven. At age, of ele- in age 11, he went to sea as a sailor, and he became involved in human African slave trade. Soon hardened by his evil surroundings, he outdid his companions in immorality, vulgarity, and blasphemy. But when he was 23, his ship was caught in a severe storm. And when he began to fear for his life, he cried out to God for mercy and was marvelously saved. Not wanting to forget the death of the sin which he became, and by the way, Newton became a big evangelist and pastor in London, Um, not being one of the Wanted to forget that, he had Deuteronomy 15, 15 above his uh, man on his house. This is the King James Version. And thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondsman in the land of Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee. So unlike Newton, the Galatians didn't remember their past. Now how about you? If you are saved, do you remember life before Christ? Your testimony is important, not only to bring others to faith, but also a reminder of what we once were and not to slip back and who we once were, slip back into the way we were before. So I remember my past before Christ, and we all have our testimony. Most of us weren't as bad as, as John Newton, and I can only speak for myself here. And I'm going to give you some highlights of my testimony this morning. Before I was saved, some 32 years ago, It wasn't really good for me, what I did. I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but here's some highlights, all right? I grew up in church, loved the Bible, was into God's word, but wandered away at age 16, as as young men often do. I began to work in restaurants. Actually, I had the same job. I'm still at the same job (laughs) all those years. I've, I've... I've now worked more, you know, I worked a lot of hours in those days, and I used to work six days a week, all right? You all know the old L. John song, uh, Friday Night is the Night I Like? Well, for me, it was Tuesday night uh, because I was off on Wednesday. So Tuesday was the night I liked, and, you know, that song, I'm going to get a belly full of beer, but that was me, right? So as the song goes, and the flowers weren't growing up, but the weeds were growing in my life. And yes, I was smoking them as well, all right? So I wound up in all sorts of bars and nightclubs and cultivated bad relationships with women and everything else. At work, I acted more like, who's, who's seen that show, Hell's Kitchen? You ever seen Hell's Kitchen, Gordon Ramsay? You ever hear him in this kitchen? That was me before I was saved, all right? okay. And I was I was tough. I was tough, and I had no problem with cursing you out if you didn't do it the way I told you to do it, all right? So I was in a, and I was a legalist in the way Dan described. Um, I followed the American law of self, idolatry. Whatever seemed good to me was the law I followed. As I mentioned already, to put yourself as center in your life is idolatry because it is God who should be central in your life. So I met my wife Joanne and settled down a bit, but still had many wrong attitudes in my life. Then something happened that blessed me enormously. And this is going to sound weird, folks, um, but you ever been blessed by a mole before? I was. Um, Because that mole was a malignant melanoma stage four, which wasn't a good, it was a pretty scary diagnosis, actually. Um, And I wasn't given a really good chance either. But it was a blessing because it made me stop at that point, and it made me reevaluate my life. And this time... At this time, I gave my life to Christ. It's funny because the first thing people ask me when I give my testimony is, did you make a deal with God, you know, to save your life? And the truth is, no, I never once prayed that prayer, but what really scared me, and remember I had that Christian upbringing, what really scared me was the thought of eternal separation from him. I didn't think I was going to be around too long, so, you know, I knew if I didn't have Jesus, I was destined for hell. You know, it wasn't going to work. So, so that's when he became my Lord and Savior. And I still remember the change that came over my life. Um, the very next week, I carved out time in my schedule for church and have been going ever since. And one by one, I was pulling out the weeds, right? Pulling the weeds out and not smoking them. So why am I telling you all this? It's, it's two reasons, really. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, now is the time. I got a second chance. It doesn't always happen. And I love to pray with you this morning after the service if you want to talk about that or pray with me. But and if you were saved, then because your testimony is important. As Paul reminds the Galatians what they were like before Christ, we too should remember what we were like before Christ. Alright? Not just as a witness to other people but also know what we like before Christ so that we don't start slipping back and going the other direction. Often the weeds start growing back. And we need to have, to ask ourselves, do we let them grow or we do some prune? All right? Our next point, understanding our present life. Click this slide. Thank you. All right? But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to this weak and worthless elementary principles, principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Paul is trying to tell the Galatians is that by earn, trying to earn one salvation through legalistic morality and religion is just as much enslavement as when you were pagans worshiping idols. In the end, the rule-keeping religion person is lost and enslaved as much as is lost and enslaved as a non-religious person. Why? Because both are trying to be their own savior and lord, but in different ways. And whatever it is that we worship is what we will be enslaved by. If you worship money and wealth, you'll be enslaved by money and wealth. Before I was saved, I worshipped things of this world which were attractive to me, money, entertainment, my job, my ego, and so on. And I thought in my mind that was okay with God, but the truth is I had no idea how far I was from God. And this is often the case for many who are lost and don't know it. See, in our mixed-up society, we are all told or under the impression that we're basically good, and that's the scary part told that we're basically good and you know Paul's fear for the Galatians because of their new legalistic approach to salvation was even worse than their old slavery because they had no far they had no idea how far away they were from the father and I had no idea how far I was away from the father the Galatian Christians had come to know God in the intimacy of family relationship remember we talked about they were heirs which is much more than just knowing about God, but in a real sense, it is to experience God. Because Before their conversion, the Galatians did not experience God by means of the Spirit of God. Paul is emphasizing that God took the initiative with the Galatians, bestowing on them the Spirit and reckoning them, reckoning them as righteous. Remember that passage in Romans. Relationship with God does not have its basis in us seeking or doing, or knowing, but originates with God himself. Timothy Keller writes this. What what makes a person a Christian is not so much your knowing God, but his knowing you. To know in the Bible means more than intellectual awareness. To know someone is to enter into a personal relationship with him. This is what Paul means when he says to be known by God and and to be known by God, you need to spend time with him. You can't know God unless you spend time with him in prayer. There's no way. It's not going to happen. The problem with not experiencing the true God is the alternative is not nothing, but rather be in control of beings which are not real gods. So you, you're going to be in control of something, but by something. could be yourself. Could be false gods. The Galatians worship false gods like Hermes and Zeus, as well as the Roman emperor. They would also esteem the basic elements of this world, including fire, wind, the moon, and the stars, and they'd el- they they worship the elements of the world. And Paul mentions elementary principles, and we're going to get a good idea for that if you look at Galatians 2.8, where Paul says, "See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy." and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elementary principles or spirits. Some translations will use spirits. And associates elementary principles of the world with deceptive human tradition and philosophy. So the heart of the Jewish religion during New Testament times was assisting um, what they called rabbinic rabbinic tradition. In other words, the rabbis would... um, we were the scholars and they would, they would add to what the law was. Um, if you looked at any of that, they had, they would take the law, the Pentateuch, the first four books of the Bible, and then they would add to it. First they came up with the Mishnah, that was the commentary on the, on the Bible. Uh, so the Mishnah, if I put it on the table, if you ever saw one, it's about, if I stack the Bible about that. that would be the Mishnah, that was all the commentary on the Bible. Now, after that, that wasn't good enough. They were they were going to make publish something later on. Was called the Babylonian Talmud. The Babylonian Talmud, and we don't have encyclopedias like we used to. Maybe if you went to the library, anybody ever sold the uh, Encyclopedia Britannica? Mm-hmm. That was the size of the Babylonian Talmud, the commentaries on the law. So. Um, so if you can see how they took the law to the, the farthest degree, that was the size. So, uh, so, so the gem in in the world that the Galatians were formerly part of, human philosophy and pagan religions interrelated, related, and both Jewish traditions and pagan religions centered in a man-made system of works, man-made because we've taken the, what was in the Bible and we've decided to just expand it. Right with the idea of obtaining divine acceptance by one's own efforts, which means that if we followed the letter of the law, they followed everything that was in there, then they would be saved, you know? Again, idolatry because that's something I had to do, all right? God doesn't work that way. He's already did it for you. So this sounds a lot like our society and nation today, uh, you know, we're taught, I mean, we even teach our kids and not, we don't say it in so many ways, but not to rely on God. We want we you to rely on ourselves, right? We need to rely on the government, you know? Rely on the government. What's the government going to get for you? What's, you know, what and you know, everything else. The election's coming up. We rely on other, everything but God in society today. We don't rely on, we don't rely on him. We rely on other things. And God is saying, you know, Come to me first. Don't do don't go to other sources, you know? I often think of, um, you know, when someone's sick, you know, and I, and I get a lot of people in work telling me, can you pray for somebody? Usually after they've had um, so many different rounds of um, chemotherapy and they've gone to this and they've gone to that and they've seen X amount of doctors, then prayer is the mm-hmm. last resort. Well, Prayer should be the first resort for us, not the last resort. And unfortunately, that's what happens. So, so many are being led astray by the messed up principles which have taken place, um, taken place the truth of scripture. So, and I'm not getting political, but I do want to be, I don't want to be political. I don't think you should be political either, but I think you should be biblical. All right? Don't be political correct, but be biblically correct. Paul was shocked at how the Galatians had forgotten how the Lord had saved them from bondage to sin, right? He's equally shocked at how they are returning to their old lifestyle. Verse 10, you observe days, months, and seasons, and years. So you take that verse, some such as the Jehovah's Witnesses use this verse incorrectly. They forbid, if you know any uh, people in the Watchtower Society there, they forbid uh, celebrating birthdays and holidays. Um, this is not the intent of Paul's message in this passage. The verse does not forbid anyone from celebrating Christmas, Mother's Day, Father's Day, Easter, whatever it is, okay? He's simply pointing that such ritualism um, can never save anyone, and I'm going to explain some of that in a minute. So before becoming Christians, the Galatians observed an elaborate pagan calendar. Remember I remember we talked about that earlier. They were in in the... Zeus, Hermes, and the uh, the uh, Romans and everything else—they worshipped everything. Okay, but they had a nice calendar set up. It was a elaborate calendar that structured their days, months, and seasons with worship of the gods and the emperor. Thanks to Paul, they had se- severed their ties from this ritualistic pagan calendar. They left behind this calendar, and now because of this long-standing practice, it was easy for the Judaizers, the false teachers, to replace this calendar with the Mosaic calendar. The Jews also had days, months, seasons, and years, and scholars believe that this refers to the Jewish system of religious feasts. Days would refer to the Sabbath and other feasts celebrated for one day. Months may have referred to the monthly celebration and observances of the new moon, which actually were, they were told not to celebrate by the prophets. Seasons were the seven feasts of God um, given for them to celebrate. Years were perhaps the year of Jubilee or the sabbatical year. So the Judaizers were, are as we already learned, strong opponents of Paul in Galatia. They gave them back a calendar. So they got rid of the calendar, a pagan calendar. They instead gave them their own Jewish calendar instead. They were slaves to the one calendar, so what do we think is going to happen to the new calendar? So observing the the calendar of the Jewish times and seasons could have been helpful if it was used rightly. It was a given originally to the Israelites. um, It taught and reminded them about God's provision and love for them. Unfortunately, as time passed, the commemoration became more important than the reason and teaching behind it. So where's the dangers of all this? Um, the danger is when we use them in a legalistic way. And Christians often do the same thing. Um, you know, in this morning, how about, you all heard the term C and E Christians, right? Christmas and Easter, right? Many go to church on Christmas and Easter, celebrating them holidays, thinking that's all they need for salvation. And it's true. Before, Because I know before I was saved, I was only a, a C Christian, all right? I didn't even do the E one, all right? I went to church every Christmas Eve because my mother wanted me to take her to church. All right, That was the full extent of my commitment. So many, and many churches have strict adherence to a liturgical calendar, which is not necessarily a bad thing, except when it's followed in a legalistic way. See, we can screw anything up if you give us a chance. Let me give you an example. Many people are told or decide, depending on the denomination, to give up me for Lent maybe just on Fridays or during the whole season. Again, this is not necessarily a bad thing if used in the manner in which it was originally intended. However, people often use this in a legalistic way as well, thinking that um, this is what God requires of them, or their salvation is dependent upon what they eat or they don't eat. To have nothing to do with Jesus all year long, then to think he can be justified by following some man orchestra discipline is, is just plain legalism um, and I know from wor- working in restaurants um, you know how ridiculous sometimes it gets um, people would come in they would say how holy I am now I'm giving up meat and I'm gonna buy a very expensive seafood dish so <laughs> you ever bought you ever bu- have you got any cheap seafood lately folks no I don't think so and sometimes folks think they have to act you know outwardly holy during certain times of the year. Being holy during Advent or Lent. And again, again, there is nothing wrong with Advent or Lent. It's the fact that we we esteem the holiday above the Savior who is about the holiday, all right? Going through the motions during that part of the year is what God, you know, God's not looking for that. Um, we, we do that, and folks often Make no effort to other times of the year. I've seen Lent and Advent church attendance goes way up for the first two weeks, and they don't come anymore. Maybe on Christmas. The Galatians in the past had already used this type of calendar, as as the Judaizers were ready to put in right, and now they're going to be slaves to it again. Paul knew that observing the Jewish feasts and, observance, and observances for the Galatians would take the place of a real relationship. Um, they had as sons and daughters of God. You, God wants you all the time, he wants an ongoing relationship with you. Um, tomorrow's Reformation Day, and um, Luther was asked that question, you know, after, after the Reformation and all, and they were starting to break away from the Roman church, and they asked that question about, how about all these traditions and things and all the things that we do? And the way he explained it was this, he said, if If these traditions take away from the gospel for you, you shouldn't do it. If these traditions can enrich or add to your understanding of the gospel, then it's okay to do these traditions. But if they are minus, if they take away from the gospel, don't do the traditions. So that's um, that's where it was with with that. And I think that's um, I think that's good advice. Uh, Next point: Which direction is your life heading? Verse 11, I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. This is, again, this is Martin Luther, and I love this one. He writes, Paul's suggestion that the, that the Galatians are contemplating giving up the substance for that which is but a foreshadowing of the substance, or to put it in, in his terms, they're like the dog who runs along the stream with a piece of meat in his mouth, and are deceived by the reflection of the meat in the water. He then opens his mouth to snap at it and loses both the meat and reflection. So you see, you know, the Galatians already had God. They already had Jesus, and they wanted more. They wanted the law, and by accepting the law and all, they lost what they had in the beginning. So, and that's important that we don't add to what was already given to us. Paul's task here is to make clear to the Galatians that they already have what they are looking for, long for, and need. So Paul has a pastor's heart. He loves the Galatians. There's nothing more disastrous or depressing for a pastor than to see Christians spiritually regressing rather than spiritually progressing. Remember I told you um, growing, you know, I don't believe that you can go in one, you go like you stay in neutral. You're either going forward or you're going backwards in your faith. So that's important to think about. I also want to add this to it. You and I are blessed to have two men who love us in the same way, Dan and James. And their biggest concern is for your spiritual welfare. Paul had to say some hard things to the Galatians And good pastors need to do the same for their congregations. I'm going to leave it at that, but ask you to pray on that this morning. And if you are not as close to God as you need to be, you don't have to guess who moved. So let's go back to um, my metaphor, even if it's a little silly or overused. How is your spiritual flower bed? Is it blooming? Does it need pruning? Are there weeds that need removing Have you spent any time working on it, or do you expect it to grow on its own? As Christians, we will be growing either closer to God or growing farther away by following things of the world. Church, I learned a lot about things the hard way about God in my life. I've been stubborn, obstinate, and downright stupid at times. And I still mess up at times. One thing I want to leave you with this morning, Jesus is so worth the time to get to know. It takes some sacrifices. It takes some rearranging of your schedules and your priorities, but he's so worth it, uh, and he is all we need. It's all we need. So, are you growing in the? Are you growing in the right direction? Growing in Christ or growing in the things of this world? Like the Galatians, we too can often look for all the wrong ways to know God. We're influenced by all the wrong things listens to all the wrong teachings this world has to offer. But in the long run, he says to us, he says, just come. Just come. So let's pray this morning. God, you don't, you, you cost yourself, Lord. You don't, you don't ask us to wait until we get things just right. You don't ask us to wait until, um, until we think that it's time for us. You don't, you don't ask us to wait to grow in our faith until it's convenient for us. You don't ask us to wait until we can fit it into our schedule. Maybe this morning, um, you know, Lord, you would, you would come upon us in a big way you would tell us um, not to allow the things that take the place of you to come into our lives. Tell us not to look for something else, but just come to you. The only way, Lord, to get away from, from the legalism of this world, the idolatry, is to come to you. So, Lord, I would pray, Lord, that we would do that. We would come. Um, we would come to grasp the, the goodness of the gospel, and we would come to you, Lord. That we would just come, um, just come to you in faith. Come to you in faith, knowing that you have all we need. We don't have to look around. We don't have to add to it. We don't have to subtract from it. But we have to come. So, Lord, call us all those who haven't been there, Lord, to come to you. Help us, Lord. Help us to carve out the time we need. Help us to be more diligent in our faith, more diligent in the study of your word, and more diligent in prayer. Lord. It might be, uh, we may not just know about you, but we might be known by you. That's in Jesus' name.
1: In grace now sweet the sound that saved the wretch. I'll be you. My chains are gone, and I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy